I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. So on part two of this episode with my brilliant, brilliant guest, Amir Eyal, we're going to continue to talk about the strategies you can follow to become indistractable. Uh, Near calls indistractability the skill of the century, and I couldn't agree more. Nier is brilliant in so many ways. He writes, consults, and teaches about the intersection of psychology, technology, and business. He previously taught as a lecturer in marketing at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and the Hasso Plattner Institute of Design at Stanford. He co-founded and sold two tech companies since 2003 and was dubbed by the MIT Technology Review as the prophet of habit-forming technology. He's the author of two best-selling books, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, and Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Indistractable is definitely one of my favorite books. It received critical acclaim, uh, winning the Outstanding Works of Literature Award, uh, as well as being named the Best Business and Leadership uh, Book of the Year by Amazon, one of the Best Personal Development Books of the Year by Audible, and the Global and Mail called it the Best Business Book of 2019. If you are interested in more of Nier's views, you can always find him on nierandfar.com. Nier is an I-R and far.com, where he constantly blogs uh, new amazing ideas. He's been featured on the New York Times, the Harvard Business Review, Time Magazine, and Psychology Today. And you probably don't even need all of that introduction because you're here because you're hooked to the amazing knowledge and nuggets of wisdom he has shared in episode one. If you haven't heard episode one, of course, go back and listen to it first. But as we continue, I promise you another episode of incredible value with Nir Iyal. I mean, it's really interesting. I never knew it had a name, but I I keep a religious to-do list, but I never use it to do anything. You know, one of my rituals every morning after I finish my meditation, reflection time and so on, is I turn those into time slots. And when the day is full, it's full, right? So I need to sit and write for an hour. It goes from 9 to 10 a.m. And I will sit from 9 to 10 a.m. And yes, I will tell myself I would hope to write three pages or whatever in that hour. But if I don't, it doesn't matter. I'm sitting there. And if I write five, that's fantastic. The idea is, unless you, you know, if you tell yourself, okay, I'm going to read email, I'm going to, you know, clean my email inbox, good luck. That's like a 500-hour task, right? It just doesn't work that way. You tell yourself, I'm going to do 15 minutes email and I'm going to do the top three or top five, right? And that's it. Very, very different. Right. And of course, you make adjustments, right? From week to week, when you make a time box calendar, you adjust it. You say, you know what? Oh, I, I only got through a very small part of my email inbox. I really need more time for it. No problem. You make that adjustment for the week ahead or the time slot in the week ahead, but not in the moment, right? We don't want to do that in the moment because that's when we actually get distracted from the next thing we plan to do. Senior, I mean, of course, because you're very professional and very productive, you know, you talk about work, but this also includes personal stuff. 
right? I want to spend time with my daughter and it's going to take an hour and a half for me to catch her and then to have the conversation and for Zoom to fail us a little bit and, and so on, right? And that needs to be planned in the calendar. I need to give myself time for my workout. I need to give myself time for my rest and so on and so forth, right? So these are important things to be included as well. Right. So we, we talk about values in the book, about, you know, values are attributes of the person you want to become. Values are attributes of the person you want to become. So what you want to ask yourself is, how would the person I want to become spend their time? And we have these three life domains. You are at the center of these three life domains. If you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of other people, you can't uh, enhance your organization, your workplace, you have to take care of yourself first. So first thing we do with our weekly calendar is to make sure we put time for ourselves. Uh -huh. What does that include? Well, whatever your values are based on. If physical health is important, right? Everybody says, oh, the most important thing is your health. Well, do you have time in your calendar to take care of your health, right? If that workout is not going to happen if it's not scheduled. Uh, yeah. Your bedtime is not going to happen if it's not in your calendar. For years, I would tell my daughter, oh, you have to go to bed. It's your bedtime. But I was a hypocrite. I didn't have a bedtime. Did I not know <laughs> that sleep is important? Who doesn't know sleep is important? Really? We need to read another book to tell us sleep is important? We know. <laughs> but we don't put that time in the calendar. It's got to be there. But whether it's if personal education and growth is important, do you have time to read? Is that in your schedule? Meditate, pray, paint, play video games. It doesn't matter what you want to do with your time. It's not up for me or anybody else to tell you how you should spend your time. It should be according to your values. So you put that time in for yourself first. Then your relationships. Part of the reason we are suffering through a loneliness epidemic these days is because people don't hold time for their important relationships, their friends, their family, their loved ones. We give them whatever scraps of time are left over and it's not enough. It's not good enough. We need to plan that time. And then finally for our work domain, that's the last of the three domains, work falls into two categories. We have what we call reactive work and reflective work. Reactive work is reacting to the emails, reacting to the messages, reacting to the meetings and, and phone calls. That's reactive work. Some of our day, of course, has to be spent doing reactive work. But just as important, if not even more important, is the reflective work. Reflective work is the kind of work that can only get done without distraction. The planning, the strategizing, the thinking can only happen when we work with that distraction. So what I implore people to do, if you're a knowledge worker, right? If you're a white collar worker and you have some latitude in making your schedule, you have got to put at least some part of your day for that reflective work. Because if you don't, your life and your career will run real fast in the wrong direction, as we talked about earlier. You have to have that time to reflect. So this is how we build our time box calendar. And then once we have that, we have a few magical things that happen. One, we have something that we can revise, right? We can iterate on that schedule week over week and improve it over time to make it easier to follow. So you say, oh, I want to write more. Well, it turns out I like to write more in the morning versus the evening. Great. No problem. Switch it up. Adapt it for your needs. The second thing that happens that's really magical is that now we have a physical artifact that we can share with other people in our life. So we can show it to our boss and say, hey, boss, I've got my time box calendar here. You see this list of stuff that you asked me to do? I can't seem to find a place on my calendar without removing something else. Help me prioritize. Brilliant. People, I'm telling you, this will change your life. Your boss will worship the ground you walk on because they don't know what you're doing all day. <laughs> they would love to know. So yeah. show them that calendar. 
get their feedback to say, hey, look, this is more important than this. Let's swap it out on your calendar. You don't need to do this, but that's actually more important. This is called schedule syncing. It not only works with your boss, it works incredibly well with the other stakeholders in your life, like your, your domestic partner, your, your wife, your husband, your kids. It's an incredibly uh, fruitful yeah. practice. I love that. It is brilliant. I have to repeat this so that nobody misses the point. Did you hear near brilliant when you said you put yourself first? First is a very important keyword. Actually, this completely flipped my life upside down. So my time with Aya will go in my calendar first. Okay. And I actually, I used to make a statement when I was a chief business officer of Google X that if Larry Page asked for that time, I will say, hold on, I have to text Aya first because this to me matters. My workout time matters. You know, I worked out in the morning. I didn't want breakfast meetings. People were crazy about breakfast meetings for some reason. It's like, I'm grumpy. I haven't even showered yet. Why would we want those, right? And I think the idea is first, you put those things first. One staggering statistic that I got from you at a point in time near is that 41% of the tasks we put in our day are low value adding, you call them, you know, so these are not the tasks that are important at all right? They're the easy things or the urgent things, but not the important things that we really need yeah. to work on. And, and the reason people do this, by the way, is that people love the reactive work. I always get this excuse from people when they hear this, not, not always, but some people who are trying to avoid doing it of uh, what if my boss needs me, right? I need to be on call. I can't just think I need, I, 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 my boss is constantly, you know, he might send me an email. What if, what if she needs me? And of course, some portion of your day needs to be available. But what boss is not going to understand if you sit down with your boss and say, look, to do my best work, I need time to think. And to think, I need to work without distraction. So I'm not saying all day, but some portion of your day has to be protected for that type of work, just as if you are going to have a meeting with somebody very important, if Larry Page called you up and said, I need a meeting with you, well, you would make time for them, right? Exactly. If, if Oprah called you, you would make time for her, right? I would. And yet, Absolutely. why don't we keep our commitments to ourselves? Yeah. We're the most important person in our life. And yet the things that we need for proper care and maintenance, exercise, rest, proper nutrition, prayer, meditation, whatever it is, that somehow comes at the expense of everything else. Yeah. And you'll be surprised how little left would be if you don't include that. Again, one of the staggering, staggering statements, you say it so easily, but I once heard you on a speech say a hundred emails a day multiplied by two minutes each plus two meetings at an hour each that leaves you one and a half hours for everything else. For everything else. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that is crazy when you think about it, because you start your day thinking that you have eight hours of work you suddenly realize that all of it has gone into two meetings and email, right? And that is so, so shocking when you really think about it. I also will have to say, again, I'm, I'm sorry I'm being a fanboy here, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is fantastic. Keep it coming. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I admire is how you apply this to your personal life as well. So, you know, it's actually really valuable to tell your boss, for example, I need time to think. But I'll tell you, tell your boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife, hey, I write between 9 and 11 a.m. and I love you dearly and I would like to hug you and I would like to laugh and everything, but between 9 and 11 I'm writing or between this time and that time I'm working out. And I think those kinds 
of clear communication, I think, makes a, a major, major difference. To that point, by the way, because when you say that, it also comes coupled with the fact that not only do you keep time protected and preserved for things to take care of yourself, but also for them. Absolutely. Right? A person who is indistractable is someone people want to do business with. It's someone people want to love. It's someone people want to invest in their relationships. Why? Because they know they are good for their word. I'll tell you a quick anecdote with my wife. So my wife and I met in an economics class in college. And there was this term uh, that we learned in econ class called residual benefactor. That the residual benefactor is the chump that gets whatever is left over when a company is liquidated. So when a company goes out of business, the debt holders get their share, the equity holders get whatever's left after that. And then the last, last people who get whatever's left are the residual benefactors. They get whatever scraps are left over when a company is, is liquidated. And I remember a few years ago before I published Indistractable, when I was struggling with this distraction in my life, my wife turned to me and she said, look, Nir, you have made me the residual benefactor. You have given me whatever scraps of time are left over after everything else in your life has been taken care of. That's not fair. And you know what? She was absolutely right. And today we hold that time. It's very precious. And, and she knows now, I mean, my, my life has changed in every conceivable area of my life. She knows she can count on me, that I'm going to be there when I say I will, because it's on my calendar. It's completely improved our relationship. We've been married for 20 years now, believe it or not, and it's completely changed our life. Oh, fantastic. I don't know her, but I know you. And I think it's not a bad idea to be married. No, I'm not going to marry you, but yes, it's not a bad idea to be married to you for hey, 20 years. Why not? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's go from there to what everyone uses as an excuse then. Because, you know, yes, you have it in calendar. And I, you know, I will tell myself that I will do it, right? But then all of those external distractors come in. And yeah, you and I know these are actually the easier ones to handle, but I don't think most people know some of the techniques that you can do to make sure that nothing pings and gets your attention and so on. Okay, tell us a bit about that. Sure. So there's a lot of very practical things we can do, and, and many of them are very basic, right? Things like changing notifications. I devote only one page to it because it's kind of a simple concept, but two-thirds of people with a smartphone, two-thirds of people with a smartphone never change their notification settings. Yeah. What? <laughs> can we really say we're getting addicted by our technology when we haven't taken five minutes to turn off those goddamn pings and dings? I mean, what? it's not that hard, right? Mm -hmm. If we want to, we can do it. You say, oh, but what if somebody needs me? Well, our phones come built with technology to help us prevent getting distracted by technology. Let me give you one quick example that very few people actually utilize, but it's wonderful. Everybody's phone comes, if you have a phone that's been, you know, the last few years, it comes built in with do not disturb while driving. You push one button on your phone. And if someone calls or texts you, they will get an automatically generated reply that says, I can't talk right now, but if this is urgent, text me with the word urgent. And if they send you that word, then the message will come through. So this way, you can push do not disturb while driving. They don't need to know if you're driving or not, by the way. You can be at your desk. You put your phone down, and if they call you with, oh, my goodness, you have to call me right away. Your house is on fire. You need to call me. The message will come through. I've been using this technique for over three years. It's not that urgent. People can wait 15, 20 minutes until you're done with your work block, and then you'll call them back. 
So the technology comes built in with these ways to hack back technology. There's all kinds of ways to do this. I talk about how you can hack back your newsfeed, how you can hack back uh, group chat. There's all kinds of things we can do. Some of the more difficult things to hack back are the ones that involve company culture. So one of the worst distractions out there these days are meetings, right? Especially yeah. now that so many of us are working from home, it's become easier. The friction to call a meeting has been reduced. So what happens is when something is easier to do, people do more of it. You do more of it. So it used to be, oh, if we're going to have a meeting, we all need to be in the same location, right? So let's wait until Bill is here and Katie's here and then we'll have the meeting. But now with Zoom, it's wonderful, but we call too many meetings because it's so easy to do. And it turns out, you know what the number one reason people call meetings is? The number one reason people call meetings to hear themselves talk out loud. <laughs> <laughs> this is why managers at most companies call meetings because they don't want to do the work and the thinking that they need to do on their own. So let's congregate a bunch of people together and we'll do the thinking together. What a gigantic waste of time. So a few rules you can follow to fix this problem, make it a little bit more difficult to call the meeting. Number one, no agenda, no meeting. Okay. This is meeting 101, but over 90% of the meetings that people call have no pre-circulated agenda. It's just, hey, we should brainstorm on this, right? Turns out studies find that brainstorming in groups is a terrible idea. Brainstorming should only happen, and studies confirm this, that teams get much better results when people brainstorm on their own and send the stakeholder their thoughts. Because what tends to happen in group brainstorms, whether online or offline, is that the loudest highest paid and most male person dominates the conversation. So we don't brainstorm in meetings. That's not the purpose of a meeting. Meetings have one purpose, and that is to gain consensus. And to gain consensus, we have to do pre-work. So for example, at Amazon, you can't call a meeting unless you have finished a briefing document. You need to prepare a written document in paragraph form that is circulated so that we know, hey, I've done the homework. I have thought about this problem. Let's get together to gain consensus that this is what we want to do, knowing what we all know, right? But to call a meeting to just talk it out, terrible idea, huge distraction. This is just the tip of the iceberg. There's all kinds of other ways we can hack back distraction. Let me tell our uh, listeners, so I believe in this 100%. My notification settings is no notifications, just so that you know. Yes, right? I love, amen. I love you. Yeah, I, I love you all. I want you all to reach out to me. I get thousands of messages every week from readers and listeners to slow-mo and so on. My notification is zero. I don't receive a single notification on any of my devices, desktop, phone. You will never hear my phone ring ever. You know, the first thing I do when I buy a new phone is switch it to silent and keep it on silent. I answer on the time when I want to answer because I have a life and a priority. The fact that someone has my number and suddenly feels like they want to talk about Manchester United, that's their problem, <laughs> not mine, right? It's, it, it's important to understand that. Also, uh, the idea of meetings. Uh, so I, I am with you. I think meetings are the worst invention of humanity. <laughs> and, and, and the idea of let's meet to chat, let's meet to update, let's meet to sing. Yes. Oh my oh, God, God, that kills me. <laughs> sing on a message on WhatsApp that I will see or on Slack that I will see at the right time. I also leave my devices behind. I think this was one of your advice. I, I do actually, as a matter of fact, more and more, I, I leave my devices behind for the entire weekend. 
which I really think is a is a very a very strong practice. But but one that I want you to talk about is the clutter which I think is also magnificent. So, you know, most of us have so much on our desktop, the physical one, the desktop one, and the phone one. There is so much out there. Is there a way to just make things easier? Yeah, so we do know, studies have found that visual clutter impairs our cognitive performance. We don't think about it, right? But, you know, you look at some folks' uh, desktops, it's... uh, it's crazy. <laughs> it's a joke. It is a joke. <laughs> Many yeah. people, I mean, they've got these desktops with like a million files. And then you ask them why, well, what if I need to find something? And maybe this is left over from like old generations of graphical user interface that that's the way it worked. But today you put everything in one folder, you call that folder everything. And if you need to find it, you search for search. it. You don't, yeah, exactly. Oh. <laughs> how complex is that? <laughs> yes, exactly. And you know, you think, okay, well, how trivial, big deal. It makes a difference. And of course, this isn't, you don't buy a whole book just to tell you this, but it's one of many, many, many things that we can do to hack back these external triggers. Because when you think about it, no one step is that actually that difficult. Changing notification settings, using do not disturb, you know, having proper meeting practices, using uh, group chat appropriately. On their own, these steps are very, very easy. What happens is people live in constant distraction. They think that's the way it, it always it's has supposed to be. To be. And it's not yeah. until they take a step back and they say, wait a minute, I can do that. That's easy. I can do this. It's easy. I can do this, 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 and this. And before they know it, they've done 10 different things. And now the cumulative impact is enormous. It's a huge, huge impact. And so you don't have to do everything in the book all at once. What you want to do, however, is do at least one thing from each of these four steps. Have a practice in place when you do feel those internal triggers, those uncomfortable emotional states. What are you going to do, right? Prepare now so you know what you will do in the future. Plan out your schedule. Make time for traction in your day. Hack back the external triggers. Just a few things you can do. What, what simple thing can you do? It takes you five minutes to hack back an external trigger. And then finally, prevent distraction with packs about erecting a, a firewall against distraction. And what we find is that when people do one thing from each of these four categories, these, these four strategies, it starts this, this virtuous cycle where they can do a little bit more, a little bit more. And yes. before they know it, their, their life is completely changed. Yeah. So let's take a couple of more minutes to talk about packs. But for our listeners, you're going to do what Master Nier is going to say. Okay, and then you're gonna you're gonna owe him for the rest of your life. Like for the rest of your life, you'll have near in your prayers because actually the story, the way you say it, from the was it Greek mythology, I think, and uh, it's now time. You have the tools in your hands. You have apps out there that can help you become more organized. You have you know ways to hack through it and so on and so forth. But it's now time to take charge. To tell yourself, I am responsible for this. I'm gonna make myself a promise. I'm gonna make a pact. And that will change everything. What's the pact, Yeah. Okay, so pacts are what we call pre-commitment devices. Pre-commitment devices is when we make a promise with ourselves, with someone else, or with a technology, ironically enough, to make sure that as a last line of defense, as the firewall against distraction, that we don't go off track. And this actually comes, the mythology that you talked about is the story of Odysseus in the Odyssey written by Homer over 2,500 years ago. This story of this sailor who has to sail his ship past the island of the sirens. Now the sirens Mm -hmm. are these mythical creatures that sing this magical song that any sailor who hears the siren song crashes his ship onto the shore of the sirens island and dies. Now, 
Odysseus knows about this threat. He knows he might get distracted. So what does he do? He takes precautions. He does something now to prevent getting distracted tomorrow. He tells his crew to put beeswax in their ears so they can't hear the siren song. And he instructs them to bind him to the mast of the ship. And he tells them, no matter what I do, no matter what I say, do not let me go. And you know what? The plan works. He's able to sail his ship past the island of the sirens and return his crew safely home. Now, what does this illustrate to us? That we can all make what today we call a Ulysses Pact by planning ahead. This is the ultimate message of the book, is that there is no distraction that we can't overcome if we make plans today to prevent getting distracted tomorrow. Because if you wait till the last moment, they're going to get you. If the cigarette is in your hand, you're going to smoke it. If the uh, chocolate cake is on the fork, you're going to eat it. If you sleep (laughs) next to your cell phone, it's going to be the first thing you reach for in the morning. You've already lost. You have to prepare today to make sure you don't get distracted tomorrow. So pacts are the last line of defense. It's what we do after we do the first three steps of mastering the internal triggers, making time for traction, hacking back the external triggers. These pacts are the last line of defense. So what do they look like? We have what we call effort packs, price packs, and identity packs. And these packs are pre-commitments. They are steps we take in advance so that in our moment of weakness, we have something that makes us be mindful about what we're doing. So we don't have time to go through all three, but let me just talk about the effort packs because I I think it's uh, very impactful, (laughs) so to speak. So um, when I was writing this book, one of the things that I noticed I'm going to get a little personal here, is that my wife and I, our sex life suffered, right? That every night we would go to bed and she would caress her iPad and I would fondle my iPhone and we wouldn't be intimate together. Does this sound familiar, people? Does yeah. this sound familiar? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and yeah, it can be, you know, so many couples, you know, they have uh, televisions in the bedroom and they watch later and later and they don't have time to be together. They don't have time to be intimate. Not only were we not getting enough sleep, which we know is absolutely critical for physiological and psychological well-being, we weren't being intimate. So what did we do? We followed the first three steps. And then this fourth step, the effort pact, here's what we did. I went to the hardware store and I bought us a $10 outlet timer. Now, this outlet timer, we plugged into the wall, and whatever you plug into this outlet timer will turn on or off at any time of day or night. What did we plug into it? Our internet router. So every night at 10 p.m., our internet shuts off automatically. That's incredible. Could I go back and unplug it and replug it and turn the internet back on? Of course I could. But then I'd have to go under my desk and take it out. It's a, it's a bunch of work. It's effort. So what I did was I inserted effort, I inserted friction in between me and the distraction, something I didn't want to do. So now, if the internet shuts off, I have to ask myself, wait a minute, do I really need to keep checking social media and email or can this wait for tomorrow? Do I have other priorities? Do I have other plans? Now we've been doing it for so many years that everybody in our household knows, my daughter, my wife included, everybody knows, oh, 10 o'clock is coming, better shut down soon because the internet's going to shut down automatically. So that would be an example of an effort pact, this last line of defense against distraction. But again, a word of warning, if you don't do the other steps first, it won't work, okay? You will find a way to turn the internet back on if you don't first do the other three steps. Yeah. 
I can't thank you enough, Nier. I mean, I know I took more of your time. I don't know if you have maybe four more minutes or three more minutes. Sure. I wanted, sure, to, sure. I wanted to bring it all together in that idea of fitness. So you went from overweight, or you said on the border of obese, to the best physical shape of your life. How did you apply those four strategies to get there? Yeah, yeah. So I was full on obese. Uh, I remember going to the doctor and him showing me, you know, here's, here's overweight and here's you, you're obese, you're in this red category. And for me, I, I was obese as a child and, and then I lost some weight and then, but I always struggle with weight my whole life. I always struggle with food. And I think it's part of my fascination into these types of products that persuade us stem from the fact that I struggled with obesity as a child uh, and into early adulthood because I found that these products had controlling powers over me. And I think it was a seminal moment in my life that I learned how to overcome them, how to gain greater control. And to discuss these four steps, I mean, it wasn't until I realized why I was overeating. I knew I was overeating. I knew that McDonald's hamburger was not as healthy as a, as a healthful salad. Who, who doesn't know that? We all know what unhealthy food looks like, but I was eating it anyway. And to be honest, I was eating, not only was I eating things that I knew weren't good for me, I ate too much. Why? Not because I was hungry, but because I was eating my feelings, right? This is why, I mean, if you speak with obese people as, as I used to be, this is what's going on. It's not about hunger. It's about the fact that I would eat when I was lonely. I would eat when I was bored. I would eat when I felt ashamed about how much I had eaten. That's why we overeat right? It's about these feelings, about these uncomfortable emotional states. And if we don't deal with that discomfort first and learn how to deal with the emotional discomfort that we're filling ourselves emotionally with this food, the problem persists. And of course, the same thing applies to all sorts of distractions, whether it's drinking too much, whether it's playing too many video games, whether it's watching the news too much, whether it's people who work too much. We all know people who spend way too much time in the office because they are also escaping something. Even exercise, right? I talk about in the book about how people really get addicted to exercise. Again, because it becomes an escape from some other discomfort. So it's not about the activity itself. It's not about, oh, this activity is healthy or unhealthy. It's about why we are doing it, to what extent, what are we running away from? So dealing with that internal discomfort, the internal triggers is the absolute most important first step. And then the second step, making time for traction. So for me, I knew I needed to exercise, but it wasn't until for me, what really started me on this path was just planning time for walking. Walking is such an underrated physical activity. People think, oh, it's got to be, you know, no pain, no gain. I have to suffer. No, you don't. <laughs> Going on a walk is, is one of the best things you can do for your physical health. Low impact. You can do it for the rest of your life. You know, there are people who are over hundred years old who can walk miles and miles. You don't necessarily have to run, but here's why I didn't do it because it wasn't on my calendar. I didn't plan the time for it. So now it has that time and I protect it fiercely because that's something that's very important to my value system. I want to be someone who takes care of their body. So proper exercise, getting to bed on time is a game changer, right? Having a bedtime, super important. And then removing the external triggers, right? So when it comes to losing weight, how many of us have those cookies in the house just in case? <laughs> like, why did I do that to myself? I would have this stuff in my house. No. So here's the thing. If I want to have unhealthy food, I can have it. I don't tell myself, no, absolutely not. I can't have this food. It's okay. I can have it, but I have to go out and get it. 
I don't want it right under my nose. I don't want it in my house. I want to remove those external triggers where it counts. In fact, I work in a co-working space here in Singapore, and I intentionally looked for a co-working space without snacks. Coffee machine they have. I don't want one with yeah. snacks, right? Because I don't yeah. want those external triggers. Why would I put myself in that so you know, with that temptation? Yeah. And then finally, making those pacts, right? Having those promises that we make to ourselves to keep us on track. So if you can find someone to help you be accountable, if you can find a friend, for example, you can make what's called a price pact. Let me give you an example of what I did of using a price pact for myself. So every morning when I wake up, I see the day's calendar in my dresser, okay? I have a calendar and it has the date and on today's date, every date is taped a $100 bill, a fresh, crisp $100 bill. Now, this technique is called the burn or burn technique, and you'll see why in a minute. So every day, there's that $100 bill that I move every day, right? Now, there's one $100 bill that I move for every day of the month. Now, every day, I have a choice to make. I can either go to the gym, take a walk, do a little workout, do something to burn some calories, or above that $100 above the counter is a shelf and there's a Bic lighter right there sitting there. Oh, wow. And my choice is to either burn some calories or burn the money. I have to no burn way. the $100 bill. Yes. Wow. That is commitment. Yes. Here's the thing. I've done this for probably been four years now. I've never burned a $100 bill. You know why? Because I do the damn exercise. Yeah. I just do the exercise. Here's one of the most important lessons I can share with people. Consistency over intensity. Consistency over intensity. The way we live the kind of life we want is not by doing what most people do, which is to go extreme and, and you know, be super intense, right? Like the New Year's resolution. We know these people who are super fit for like three weeks. And then they stop, <laughs> they quit, right? Back yeah. to this problem of quitting. You don't get into good physical shape by being really intense. No, you consistently work out for 30 minutes, an hour, 45 minutes, consistently every single day for years. That's how we get in shape. If you want a good relationship with somebody, you don't go to your daughter and say, hey, you have to spend the next 24 hours with me so we can have a good relationship. No, good relationships are built with consistent interaction. To build a company, to build a, a, a great organization, you have to consistently put in the work, not super intense time, but consistently move the ball forward. So it's all about consistency over intensity. And that consistency requires us to show up and not quit. That's why being indistractable is such an important skill. I will call you master for the rest of my life, <laughs> Master Nier. I will say, guys, and I know Nier has shared so generously, there is so much more in the book. It's like a well, you know, this is one of the modern day's Bibles. I really, really, really strongly recommend that everyone reads Indistractable. <laughs> it's an incredible piece of work, Nier. You're a brilliant, brilliant, generous man. And I am so honored. I'm so honored to have spoken to you today. I hope we always stay in touch. Are you working on another book? Please be working on another book. I am. I'm trying to figure out which topic. So the way I work is I, I blog about stuff, kind of figure out, I, I, I look for problems in my own life. I know you, you, you think I put all this work into it, but let, let me tell you, I wrote this book, not because I had the answer, but because I was looking for the answer. I needed the answer because I was struggling with this. And that's what I'm looking for for the next book is what problem do I have that I really need to solve? And typically, you know, I'll find somebody else who's written a book and that solves the problem for me. But every once in a while, about every five years, I find a problem that I haven't figured out that I want to dive into. So I'm working on it. <laughs>
We are impatiently waiting. Meanwhile, everyone read Indistractable. Nir, I'm so, so, so grateful for your time, for your generous, generous wisdom. It's really amazing to talk to you. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. So there you have it. I can't even summarize the number of notes and pointers that can completely change your life. I think the idea that I want to leave you with is being indistractable is a choice. You can't blame the world and technology for taking your time and attention. You can actually make a choice and make a difference to your personal life, to your work life, to your own self-care and self-love. And I think, you know, the way Nir put it together in his fitness example at the end is something that we can all really learn from. While you're at it, don't be distractible. Before you leave this podcast, please rate it five stars. Uh, leave a kind comment. Those things really help us spread the message and get more attention so that listeners can join us and benefit from uh, listening to the incredible nuggets of wisdom that my guests share here. So consider it your good deed, your good karma of the day to spread this message. Take a screenshot of your podcast and share it on social media. Tell people to come and join us. I would be really, really grateful for that. Yeah, and find me on social media. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you want me to change. Ask me any questions. Recommend a guest. I'm mo underscore gaudet on Instagram, mo gaudet on LinkedIn, mo.gaudet.official on Facebook, and mgaudet on Twitter. And uh, yeah, don't be distractible. Find time for yourself. And remember that regardless of how busy you are today, there is always, always time to slow down. I love you all for listening and I'll see you next time.